Welcome to the Beacon Broadcast from Beacon Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina, featuring expositional Bible teaching by Pastor Greg Barkman. If you'd like to correspond with the Beacon Broadcast, or if you wish to support this radio ministry, write to The Beacon Broadcast, Post Office Box 159, Alamance, North Carolina, 27201, or find us on the web at beaconbaptist.com beaconbaptist.com The Beacon Broadcast is supported in part by the gifts of faithful listeners. Now with today's message from God's Word, here is Greg Barkman. If you are a regular listener to the Beacon Broadcast, you know that we are in the Gospel of John have come to chapter 15, which is about halfway through the Upper Room Discourse, and have been dealing with the analogy, the illustration that Christ has given concerning the vine and the branches and what it teaches about the disciples' relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. And having covered that section Exegetically, we are now going back and picking up some of the key concepts and developing them a little bit further. And so we left the broadcast last week talking about what it means to abide in Christ from verse 4, where Jesus said, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And we have talked primarily about two things. Number one, what is spiritual abiding? What does it mean to abide in Christ? And number two, what are the results of abiding in Christ? And very quickly reviewing them, I will tell you that abiding in Christ means to depend upon Christ, not self, It means feeding upon the Word, not merely involvement in religion. And it means communing with Christ, not simply relying upon activities or emotions in our Christian practice. Which brings us then, secondly, to what are the results of abiding? How can we know if we are abiding? And there are a number of them, and I've taken them all from this passage, so I'll simply review the ones that we have already covered. But results of abiding in Christ are Christ-likeness, much fruit, think in terms of the fruit of the Spirit. So Christ-likeness, number two, answered prayer. Third, assurance of salvation. Fourth, the experience of the reality of God's love. Everybody wants to experience God's love. A lot of people assume that they have experienced it and are experiencing it, but may not be if they are not experiencing what the Bible defines and describes as the love of God. But that is the fourth one, and then we're going to take up a fifth one as we conclude this study today and move into the next one, which will have to do with the power of God's Word. So thank you for joining me on this Sunday, February 19, and for those listeners whose financial gifts keep us 
teaching on the station. Many, many, many thanks. We really, truly, really cannot do this without you. I want you to understand that. Well, back to the experience of God's love. We have the declaration of it in verse 9 and the experience of it in verse 10. In verse 9, Jesus said, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. See, we can't get away from this abiding, which he brought up in verse 4. That's all connected here with this concept of God's love. To live in the reality of God's love is to abide in Christ and vice versa. To abide in Christ means that you will have an experiential relationship with Christ that will involve, among other things, this sense of his love, a distinguishing love, an infinite love. And this experience of love is expressed in verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So the love that we have received from Christ, we express that to others. And the example of love is in verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Now, this is getting into, what should I say? Getting into some very important territory, because most people, when they think about the love of Christ, when they think about the love of anything, they're thinking about a feeling, an emotion, a sense of of warmth, a sense of, of affirmation, a sense of encouragement, and so forth and so on. And... Jesus puts it in terms of sacrifice for others. That's what he did to demonstrate his love to us. He laid down his life for us. You can't get any greater demonstration of love than that. And he told us that our demonstration of love to him is to obey his commandments That doesn't sound too emotional, warm, and fuzzy-wuzzy. It sounds pretty, well, pretty demanding, doesn't it? But that is how we demonstrate our love to Christ. If we love him, we keep his commandments, and this is his commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And he goes on to say, Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. So, to keep his commandments, plural, And one in particular, to love one another. And what does that mean? That means to be willing to sacrifice for the benefit of others. So this is very practical. It's not particularly emotional. I'm not saying that there's no emotional element to it. There is. But the the emotion, as in this area, as in other biblical areas, follows, not leads Good emotional health follows obedience. Good emotional health follows truth. Good emotional health follows a right relationship with God, not only through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but also in our communion with him. When we do right, then we have every reason to feel good about that, and to sense the love of God, when we believe what is true and insist on believing only what is true and rejecting what is false, then the emotions will follow. My emotional response in in the Christian faith 
almost always comes as a result of some great theological truth, usually relating to Christ and salvation, penetrating with a fresh application to my soul, and it brings great emotional warmth. That's, that's how I experience emotion in my Christian walk. Now, of course, there are other areas of life in which there are emotions. It wasn't too long ago that I was talking to my wife about, and I won't go into any details, but about something that relates to our family, children and grandchildren, that just filled our hearts with such appreciation for what God has done and is doing in their lives. And as we were talking about it, both of us had little tears trickling down our cheeks. This wasn't talking about doctrine. It wasn't even talking directly about Christ, although it had a great deal to do with gratitude to God for what he has done. But that, of course, brought an emotional response. But it was based upon what we were seeing in their lives that God was doing. That brought the emotional response. And so the emotion retrails. The emotion comes behind some great truth or some great sacrifice, some great area of obedience. And if you want to experience the love of Christ, you will obey his commandments, and the emotion of love will follow. If you want to experience the love of Christ, you'll demonstrate his love to others in a sacrificial way. We can never do it as greatly as he sacrificed for us, but we can do it in smaller ways. How do we love others? Do something beneficial for them. Do something sacrificial for them. I see many demonstrations of this in our church on a regular basis. People who, for example, will prepare meals and take them to people who have had surgery or have had uh, some other problem, sickness some or bereavement. And, and not in every case is there necessarily a, an obvious need, but it's a way of tangibly expressing love and concern. We do it by doing something for them because that's the way we know the love of God for us. He did something for us. He did something tremendously beneficial for us. And that's the way we demonstrate our love to others. And as we do, we will have a greater experience of Christ's love for us. So, that's the fourth result of abiding in Christ, is the experience of God's love. And then the fifth one is friendship with Christ, and this will be the last one. We read in verse 15, No longer do I call you servant, so for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Friendship with Christ, intimacy with Christ. Christ describes a relationship here 
with his disciples that indicates, and again, it goes back to the word, the word, the word, the word. He says, I have told you things that demonstrate my relationship with you. You're more than a servant. You are my friends. You are my brothers and sisters in Christ. You are members of the family. So I no longer call you a servant, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. That's a a characteristic of a servant in a day when there was a lot of slavery. Masters don't don't usually feel obligated to explain to their slaves or their servants, or even, in many cases, supervisors to the people who work under them, don't always feel necessarily an obligation to explain to them the reason for their instructions. Sometimes they do. It can depend upon the situation, but there is not the obligation to do so, and in a lot of cases, there is no attempt to do so. It's the old, do this because I told you to approach. We do that with our children. At least we did, and I I commend that. We live in an age where we're taught we've got to explain everything to our children and make sure that they understand why we're doing them. We can't dare just say, you do this because mommy said so. Why not? That's teaching them something important. Why do we obey God? Well, there are a lot of reasons why, but we can start at the top of the list with this. Because he's God and we're not. Because he has the right to command us and rule us, and we don't need to understand the reason for his commands in order to obey them. The moment we get that idea in our mind, we are ruined as far as having a right relationship with God. We yield to him the place of master. He is our master. He is our Lord. He is our ruler. Whatever he says to us, we have a responsibility to do it whether or not we understand it. That's not the point. The point is that God understands it. We believe that, don't we? If we don't don't believe that, then we don't really even understand him, and our relationship with him is in question. But if we believe that God is God, who knows all things, who is all wise, who is filled with grace and love and wisdom— and he says to do something, we don't need to understand the reason why. Why We know he understands the reason why. Our responsibility is to obey him. Now, that's an important truth. It's different from the one we're dealing with here in John 15, which I'll get back to in a moment. But that's an important truth. And there is nothing wrong with telling our children, at least at times, you do this because I said so. Children oftentimes will ask her, why, why? And and you can tell by the tone of their voice whether this is an honest and humble desire to understand or whether it's a petulant objection to what they're being told to do. Why do I have to brush my teeth? Why do I have to take a bath? Depending, of course, on the age of the children and what it is we're dealing with. And many times the best answer... Not a bad one, as we are sometimes told in today's world, but sometimes the best answer for the benefit of the child is to say, you do it because I told you to, I'm the parent, you're the child. Brush your teeth because I told you to. 
Take a bath because I told you to. Now, as they get older and as they demonstrate a good attitude toward us, we are delighted to be able to explain to them the reason you brush your teeth is to preserve your teeth, to prevent tooth decay, as well as to make sure you don't go out and offend people with your bad breath. There are reasons for it. And depending upon their level of maturity, understanding, and attitude, we can and delight in explaining these things to them. We'd rather explain it to them and have them have an under have an ability to understand it and appreciate the reason and have them obey because they do understand that this is a reasonable command and it has some benefits to it. We're not doing it out of out of just uh, what should I say uh, sadistic delight in proving that we're the boss. But there still is that parent-child relationship, which is an authority to an underling relationship. No matter what others may say, no matter what the world may say, it is that. God made it that. God is the one who told parents to train up your children. That's an authoritative position. You train them up in the nurture and admission of the Lord. And God said to children, obey your parents in the Lord. Not obey them if you agree with them, not obey them if you understand why they're telling you to do something. He said, obey them. God set up this relationship. But, as I said, it's it's a delight when the children grow from being a child that, that needs to be told what to do and needs to have the authority the parent enforced for them so that they can learn how to relate to God, who is an authority over them, and they won't always understand what he's saying, telling them to do, and how they are to relate to other authorities, to teachers and to policemen and so forth. We don't always understand. Why do I have to drive 40 miles an hour here? I, it seems to me like, like the speed limit ought to be higher here. It may, may seem that way to you, but you have to obey the authority. We all, <laughs> we, we all at times drive faster than the speed limit, sometimes almost unmindfully. We're not really paying attention, but sometimes because we have this little rebellious streak inside and we say, I don't agree with, with the limit that's been placed here. It's, it's too low until a child runs out of a driveway and you slam on the brakes and almost you come close to hitting the child and then you say, I've got to slow down. And and it may even be in some cases that the speed limit that was posted is not as well thought thought through as it ought to be. And maybe it could and should be different than what's there. But we have to learn to obey authority. That's just part of life in this world. And we teach our children that at a younger age. But again, what a delight it is when our children grow from being small children with limited understanding that really can't, we, we can't even explain to them what we're doing. Why can't I play with this sharp knife? The child would never say sharp. Why can't I run with scissors, you know? You may not understand, but 
obey. It's for your good. But how much better when they get older and you can explain it to them? The reason I don't want you to run with services in your hand is because you could fall and injure yourself badly. You could poke out your eye or, or that of your brothers and sisters or someone else. And the reason why you can't have a gun when you're too young to to uh, use it properly is because it's a dangerous weapon. It kills people. And you must learn how to use it properly. And how wonderful when the children grow older and they they begin to, if, if the training process and the maturing process is, is uh, developing properly, they begin to be more like friends than children. They begin to be more like more like equals than subordinates, though they they never get quite to that stage, but they do do move in that direction. And part of that is being able to explain to them and have and they're having an ability to understand it and to relate to the explanation properly. That's what Jesus is describing here. Now we're back to our text. No longer do I call you servants, John fifteen fifteen, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. Friendship with Christ is a result of abiding in Christ. And one of the one of the qualities, one of the activities, I guess you might say, of that relationship is Christ treating us as friends rather than servants indicated by his telling us what he's doing. It's in his word. (laughs) An awful lot of what Christ does is explained. And he doesn't tell us in every case, just do it because I said it, I'll explain it to you later, or do it because I said it, you don't need an explanation, but I'm the boss. But, as he would to a servant, but because we are his friends, because we have a different relationship with him, because we abide with him. He explains things to us. And this friendship with Christ that is demonstrated by this intimacy of of explanation, of conversation and explanation, also becomes an evidence. How do you know that you're abiding in Christ? when you evidence that you are understanding what he's saying. It is clear, isn't it, that many people go to the same scripture and don't come away with the same understanding? Some get it, some don't. Some understand it, some don't. Still looking at the same text or hearing the same sermon, some soak it in, and understand it thoroughly and gratefully and profitably, and others hear the same thing, and it really doesn't mean that much to them. And oftentimes, the people that that the sermon doesn't mean that much to them are quite certain that the reason is because the preacher hasn't preached very well. And yet there are other people right around them who heard the same sermon and have benefited immensely because of it. Maybe we need to understand that the difference isn't so much in the preacher as it is in the heart of the hearer. 
and the relationship of the hearer to Christ. And those who abide in Christ have a capacity to understand what he's saying. He does commune with us. He does explain himself to us. He does help us to understand what he's doing. And our ability to engage in that kind of understanding, to, uh, to I should say, to profit from that kind of communication is an evidence that we belong to him. We're abiding in Christ. It is this understanding. And then, interestingly, we move on to verse 16 when he says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. I, You didn't choose me, but I chose you. Now, it may seem to us that we have chosen Christ, but in reality, Christ has chosen us. That's what he's saying here to his disciples. It is because Christ chose us that we chose him. I, our choosing him is a response of his first choosing us. It's kind of like, we love him because he first loved us. We don't always understand that. This is something that we learn along the way. I have this love in my heart for Jesus, and sometimes we think we manufactured that. No, that's a result of his loving us. That's a result of his working in our heart. That's a result of his making changes in our heart. That's a result of his giving us a desire and capacity to love him. Yes, we love him, and we love him because he first loved us. Now, the very relationship we have with him, the saving relationship we have with him, is very similar. It may seem that that relationship exists because I made a decision. I chose Christ. Well, yes, you did. It's not that you didn't, but it is that your decision wasn't the most important one. It wasn't the most decisive one, and it wasn't the first one. And Christ makes that very clear here. You have chosen me because I have chosen you. You did not choose me, not that they didn't at all, but that's not the decisive choice. Your relationship with me isn't because you chose me. Your relationship with me is because I chose you. And in my choosing you, you gladly chose me. And that's inside information. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I heard from my Father I have made known to you, including this, that your salvation started with God's choice, not yours. That's inside information. That's Jesus revealing to you something from the Father, showing you what he has done. Now, what are you going to do with that information? Are you going to reject it? That can't be. I don't I, I can't ever accept that. I can't agree with that. I chose Christ. Yes, you did, but that really wasn't the choice that brought the relationship into being. That was the choice that responded 
to the choice that brought the relationship into being. He chose you. And all of this to say, those who abide in Christ reap rich rewards. There are so many wonderful results of abiding in Christ that we need to give ourselves to this relationship. Are you abiding in Christ? Are you bearing much fruit? Do you desire more fruit? Are you truly connected to the vine? And if there are any questions about those things, then go to Christ. Tell him your concern. Tell him your need. Tell him your desire. Because he is able and, yes, willing for all those who come to him in that way to bring those things to pass in your life by his abundant grace. Until next week, Greg Barkman saying good day. May God give you his eternal peace.